0: Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Cheryl. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and I'm really excited to talk to you about community today. Uh, We have been talking about how we're going to enter into a year of community this year as a church, and that means different things to different people. So we're going to explore some of that theme today. Um, As you might know, I lived in Vancouver for 10 years. If you don't know, now you know. Um, And uh, because of housing prices out there, which are notoriously insane, um, I lived in uh, a community house for many years. Um, it was something that Christians out in Vancouver did a lot. Um, it was very common to meet someone and be like oh i 'm living with like all these people and, and so sometimes it was all just like single people, like students and young professionals. Sometimes there was couples that had kids living together with some other single people Um, it was very common and I personally lived over the period of five years in two different uh, community houses the first one there were five of us we were friends from University we actually went to University in Ontario but we all ended up in Vancouver together (laughs) Somehow, Um, and so we we decided to move in together, and that community was really intense. It was a little bit too intense for me, if I'm going to be honest. Um, That was my first experience with with community, and I wasn't really like ready for what it was. Um, But we had a lot of like deep heart talks. We did like worship nights together. We did basically everything together. Went grocery shopping, ate together. Um, It was really intense. We had some really funny moments, and one of the guys from that community is still one of my best friends to this day. And then the second community that I ended up in, uh, it fluctuated between five and nine people, which you can imagine was pretty adventurous at times. Uh, We had, and it fluctuated that much because we had to move houses several times as a community. Um, But we, you know, we had some high highs and we had some low lows living in community. We had times of hosting living room worship nights for lots of people in the Christian community in Vancouver. We had family dinners. We hosted Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners for people who couldn't uh, didn't have family around them. Um, and so we did that, and we're able to serve our, our friends that way. Um, we did crazy things. Like once we had an Easter egg scavenger hunt where we had to climb up on the roof to get one of the clues. And then we had a, the final prize was at a Starbucks three blocks away, so we had to like, run down the street. Um, it was really fun. And uh, through those years, I learned a lot about living in community. And um, I'm going to list a couple of things. Um, First of all, you need to define what being in community looks like. Because everyone comes in with different expectations of how much time we're going to spend together or how little time we're going to spend together. Um, And if those expectations aren't, like, expressed and then discussed and, and, like, addressed, then um, it causes a lot of conflict. And you need to be willing to release your preferences for things like how often dishes get done, for example. Um, I had a, fr- a roommate that I lived with, he didn't believe in using soap when he washed his dishes. So that was something we had to work through, that was a fun conversation. Um, and so you need to communicate a lot and just be willing to like work to find the compromise and to find the common ground. And I was not always good at that, I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, I especially wasn't good at being willing to let other people in to what was going on in my life as much as I could have. I didn't take advantage all the time of having a community of people around me, because community takes humility, and it takes vulnerability, and that's really hard. And community is messy, because you're living with with a lot of other humans, and we're all broken and fallen. And so today, as we continue into what we're calling our year of community, we're going to be looking at the way Jesus did community. And we're defining community as people living in proximity to each other who have something in common. So we're living in a general proximity. And in our case, what we have in common is Jesus and our need for him. And Pastor Charlie talked about that last week. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon if you haven't heard it yet. And uh, today we're going to be in John 13. So if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, um, you can follow along with me. This is the beginning of Jesus' last hours with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And so let's read in uh, John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus knows that he's about to be betrayed and arrested and interrogated and tortured and killed, and he knows what is coming for him, and he knows he's about to be removed from this little group of disciples. And it says, "'Having loved his own who were in the world, "'he loved them to the end.'" Knowing what was coming, Jesus is gazing on this little community that he's had on earth with love, and he's about to lay some standards out for what that community is going to look like moving forward. And so I want to pause here and talk about how Jesus did community while he was here on earth, because it's important to the story, and it's important to the call that that story contains for all of us. So first, in his very nature, Jesus is in community with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit that they are three persons, and they are one person that make up God. We refer to this as the doctrine of the Trinity, and if you don't understand that fully, don't feel bad. I don't think any of us do. Um, It's a mind melter, even for the most mature Christians. But what we need to know today for our purposes is that the three members of the Trinity relate to each other in mutual love. And God has existed in relationship for all of eternity and because we are made in the image of God, we were also created for that kind of relationship as well. And so we see this play out in Jesus' life as it's recorded in the Gospels, where we can see him talking about his Father very lovingly. He's always listening to his Father. He's talking about how he wants to do the will of his Father, and that um, if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. And, the, and the, in the context Jesus comes to earth with is community. It's important to him, and he wants that for his people as well. And so he calls his disciples immediately when his ministry began. And there are a few things to note about this. First of all, Jesus didn't call just one disciple. He called how many? Twelve. Um, and he called all kinds of people, all, all kinds of men, into this little community. And I'm going to give you a refresher on, on some of the people that, that Jesus chose. So he chose some good Jewish boys who, like, you know, were living, living the life they were supposed to. He, some of them were blue-collar workers, like fishermen. Then we had Matthew, the tax collector, And basically, he was seen as a betrayer of his people because he collected money for the Roman Empire that was occupying Israel at the time. And he collected often more than he needed so that he could pocket some of it and get rich off the backs of his fellow Israelites. And then there was Simon the Zealot. And being a zealot meant that you were part of a political party that tried to incite rebellion against the Roman Empire that was occupying Israel by violent force. And so we have those two guys who are, like, at odds with each other. And then um, Judas Iscariot, who would ultimately betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that, and he still invited him into his inner circle. And so just imagine what it was like around the dinner table with these guys. Um... At one point, James and John, who were brothers, got their mom to go to Jesus and be like, hey, can one of my sons sit on the left side of you in heaven and one on the right? And then the other disciples got offended and mad because, like, do you think you're better than us? And, you know, it might sound familiar to some of you that have kids, but at one point, or I, I'm sure that because they were so competitive and they didn't agree politically and they, uh, they had personality clashes that Jesus sometimes felt like a referee, like, he had to, like, always manage what they were doing. And I would have maybe made different choices than Jesus did, if I'm going to be honest. Because I know from experience what can happen when you have people who live together who don't see eye to eye. And I'm sure many of you do that do as well. Jesus had 100% say and who he chose. And so you think that he would have gone after the cream of the crop, you know, the high performers, the personalities who he would get along with, and who would get along with each other, um, who might make his life easier, maybe the smartest people, or the ones that showed most potential, because that's how other teachers at the time chose their disciples, chose their group. But this was the community that Jesus chose, the people that he chose to do life with. The choices Jesus made perfectly outline a few things for us about community. First of all, that it's going to be messy. Even Jesus' disciples um, were broken people and needed to to be refereed at times. And and they all needed Jesus, and so do we. And, And Jesus doesn't expect perfection from his community. And that should bring us comfort. He loved his community enough to lead them and teach them and guide them and then lay down his life for for them even though they didn't deserve it and even though they didn't even understand what he was doing most of the time. And so knowing that he had this ragtag group of broken people in his community and knowing how they turned out after he went back to heaven and how they became so bold and powerful in proclaiming the gospel, that should give you and I hope hope about God's work in our own lives. Because God can use us for his kingdom and for his glory, even though we don't think that that's possible. He can use us beyond our wildest imaginations because God's work in our lives is powerful, and he sees things in us that we don't necessarily see in ourselves. And he draws that out of us. And that happens in community, in proximity with other people. Jesus was basically with his disciples 24-7, except for when he was sneaking away to be alone with his father. And he seemed to always be either coming from a meal or going to a meal, and there was always people there. He was always surrounded by people, and even though he picked the people that wouldn't naturally get along, like the zealot and the tax collector, his call to his disciples was to do life together. So Jesus knew his mission on earth was coming to a climax and that he was going to go to the cross. And he had spent three years with this group of disciples, these 12 men that he'd hand-selected to follow him around, to go where he went, to sleep where he slept, to eat where he ate. And he was with them all the time. And this verse that we just read says that he loved this group of messed up people, this newly forming group of Jesus followers and the people who would eventually join his ranks like, like many of us. He loved them to the end. He knew what was coming, that the day he was going to be betrayed was approaching, and that he was going to die a torturous death, and that he would even be abandoned by some of these men, and yet he loved them to the end. And that's amazing. So let's keep reading. We're going to go into verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So there's a few things happening in these verses. Jesus and his disciples are all together. They're about to eat their Passover meal. And it tells us that the devil is actively working in Judas. He had he had prompted Judas to betray Jesus already. And so here's a reality that we need to face, that the devil was pro- was actively working in the community that Jesus was a part of and he's actively working in our community as well his entire life mission and his singular focus is to do his level best to destroy us to draw us away from God and from his purpose for our lives. Jesus mentions in John 10:10, 10, 10, he mentions the devil and he calls him a thief whose mission is to steal and kill and destroy. And then in 1 Peter 5:8, he he's known as a prowling lion, prowling and roaring lion looking to devour us. So he's doing his best to ruin God's creation and ruin God's plan of redemption. And that's what we're up against. And it says that Jesus knew all of this, but his confidence came from the power that he had that came from God, that he had power over everything, and that this wasn't the end for him, that he was going to return to God, his Father. He's fully God, and he's fully man, and if anyone in that room uh, deserved to be served in that moment, it was him. But that's not what happens. We read that instead he gets up and he takes off his outer clothes and he wraps a towel around his waist and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And now I'm sure many of you have heard the context that this was a job that was reserved for the lowest servant in the household. It was one of the grossest jobs. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are sitting here thinking about washing someone's feet and being like, ooh, a little bit. Um, And here's Jesus who we just read has power over all things, who has come from God and will be returning to God, assuming the role of that lowest servant and doing that very thing. And these feet would have been dirty. As someone who is an avid flip-flop wearer, I can attest that your feet can get disgusting uh, depending on the activities that you're doing if you're wearing flip-flops. And uh, if you've walked around in the mud or worse. And so Jesus was the very last person that should have been doing this job. What would have been actually more appropriate in this situation was for the disciples to wash Jesus' feet. Because in the culture of the time, peers would not have washed each other's feet. So they wouldn't have washed each other's feet. But because Jesus had an elevated status as their teacher and as the son of God in human form, uh, we, they should have washed Jesus' feet. But here we have Jesus washing each disciple's feet, including the person who was going to betray him and deliver him to his death. And here's a fun fact about me. I have washed probably like 100 pairs of feet In my lifetime. I'm not even exaggerating. So I used to run mission trips for youth groups and uh, I did that for 10 summers and it meant that I slept on an air mattress on the floor in church basements. Uh, I stayed up late and got up early. I worked constantly trying to like get some uh, activities, do some engaging activities for like about 70 preteens and teenagers every week for 10 weeks every summer. And one of the things that we did as a group at the very end of the week was a foot washing service. And so how it worked was that us as staff would wash the feet of the adult leaders who were in the group, and then they would go and wash the feet of the kids in their youth group. Um, And it was a pretty beautiful time most of the time. It was pretty powerful. But every once in a while, we'd get a nightmare leader who was really difficult to work with. And then it was not so fun of a task to wash their feet. Uh, one week I was serving in Windsor, and I had a lady who came with her group, and she was the only leader for that group of kids. And we she took them to the place where they were going to serve that day, and she dropped them off and left them without adult supervision and drove across the border into Detroit to spend the day with her sister and didn't tell anyone that she was planning to do that. And so as the site supervisor there, you can imagine that was a fun phone call to receive from our mission partner that, like, no one's supervising your children. And as we know, teenagers don't always make the best decisions. And so um, it was a nightmare to have to like try to track her down, figure out how to get a hold of her, and then tell her, like, you have to come back now. You cannot finish lunch with your sister. Like, this is a big deal. And that was only one of the many things that that lady did that week to drive me absolutely bananas. And as I processed that experience with my supervisor, um, she's challenged me to... Consider being the person to wash this lady's feet. And I was like, oh. Because what we normally did when we were planning whose feet we were going to wash is we considered who we had bonded with that week, who we really got along with, who we thought were really awesome and we were happy to go and wash their feet. But when someone is driving you nuts and you're sleep deprived and you're just like, I can't anymore. And then someone's like, you have to wash their feet. That's a different story. But... That was the point of the exercise, humility and vulnerability. And so I ended up washing her feet and praying for her, and it was really hard. It was really humbling. And I think about how that felt for me, because, like, I never saw that lady again after that week. She, I don't even remember where she was from, somewhere in the states. Um, but that week of torture that she put me through, it was over the minute her van drove down the road, and I was like, "Bye." Um, after they drove away, the next morning, her effect on my life was done. But Jesus washed the feet of the person who sold him to his death. He loved that one to the end. He displayed unnecessary and stunning vulnerability and humility to his disciples. If you look at other accounts of this meal that they have um, in Luke 22, it says the disciples start to fight over who was the greatest among them during the meal. And that just feels like a giant face palm moment. Like, come on. Jesus' response to them in that, in that chapter in verse 27 is, I am among you as one who serves. And so this whole... Act of bathing the disciples' feet is actually bathing them into a new perspective, and that perspective is one of humble love. So let's skip down a bit in our story and, and start reading in verse twelve. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? he asked. You call me teacher and lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He asks, do you understand what I have done for you? Was he just doing this because no one else had done it, and it was about the social graces of the time? No. At this table, eating this meal... And doing this humble act of service, Jesus was intentionally showing us what he wanted for us and the community that we would be in. No servant is greater than his master. And if we follow Jesus, we are his servants and he is our master. And so we have to do as he did. And so we have already established that Jesus lived in eternal community, in mutual love. And we are to do the same. And now culturally, we're in a different place. So I'm not saying that we have to like all sell our houses and move in together and new houses and um, be together all the time. Although if you feel like God might be calling you to that, I think that's actually great. Um, it's challenging, but it's great. I can talk to you more about my experiences living with lots of people later if you want. Um, but what I'm getting at, what we want for our church is, is deepening, deepening community. And that is vital for us because that's how we were created to live. You know, the pandemic launched us into this prolonged period of isolation, and it exponentially increased loneliness for many of us, and, and we know that it's had adverse effects on us, and we've maybe gotten used to being alone too much. I know I have. And, and we live in a culture that's marked by individualism. You know, we tend to see ourselves as individuals first, and then members of a group second and that means that the decisions that we make about like our career and our education and our social activities where we live how we spend our money and our time largely is based on personal interest rather than the good of any group i know someone who recently left a marriage of 24 years because they decided that their happiness mattered more than anything else and so their marriage was hindering the pursuit of that happiness And although their leaving that marriage was devastating to their spouse and their four kids and many of their friends, that was something that they believed they had to do in order to find happiness for themselves. And unfortunately, that kind of individualism has seeped into the Western church. Many of us believe that we don't need to follow Jesus with each other. We just need to follow Jesus alone that that's actually possible. It's the attitude of like, I don't need to go to church, I can just worship God on the ski slopes or in nature and or as I go about my day. But if we look at how Jesus operated with dis- disciples, he didn't pull them aside one at a time and be like, let's have a debrief about this. Um, he asks them, he talks to them in groups, he lets them know what he's thinking and, and why he's doing things together as a group. He teaches and discusses and encourages and rebukes them as a group. He doesn't give them the option of following him without being part of the group. Like, okay, you can be my follower, but it doesn't matter if you come to the dinner table. And the same is true for us. We can't separate our discipleship to Jesus from our involvement in community, particularly the church. The Bible says that we're family, that if we follow Jesus, we've been adopted as sons and daughters of god that we share in the inheritance that jesus will receive the early church in acts did life together very intentionally the writers of the new testament assume that we're in community when they're writing their letters they're just like the people of god are in community together and we even read in hebrews 10 that we should not neglect or give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing yes it's messy yes it's hard Yes, it's countercultural, but this is how we grow as disciples and mature in our faith. And this is the life that God, our creator, chose for us. And now remember the description of the devil that we talked about earlier, the enemy that we've already looked at. In this story, he's actively working, and he's actively working in our lives today. It's one of the great lies of the enemy that we don't need each other. He lies to us and says that we are the the only ones who are going through the struggles that we're going through. That if we were to ever let someone into our lives and into the depths of our sinfulness and our need, that it would be terrible. And in that way, our enemy separates us, and he makes us believe we're alone, and then he leads us into despair. Despair. And then we either stop coming to church, stop participating in the community activities of the believers, or we, be, or we come and pretend things are better than they are. We put on the smiling face, and we believe that we can't share our struggles. We just have to put on our happy face. The, devil says, the, de- the Bible says the devil is a roaring lion. And when lions are hunting, they separate out the weakest of the flock, of the prey, from the pack that they're going, and then they go in for the kill, and they, they attack that, that weak Thing that's separated from the, the, the pack. And I'm sure that verse is really familiar to you, the Roaring Lion verse. Um, it's pretty familiar. I've quoted it from, he, from the stage before. But the next verse is really interesting, and I just wanted to like put that up on the screen and let us think about it for a second. 1 P- Peter 5, 9 says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. This verse tells us that community is really important. We have a global family who are sharing in our sufferings. We're not alone. And we have a local family in this church who are walking with us. And so that's why we're calling this year the Year of Community here at Westview, And it's why you'll hear a lot of teaching from us over the next year about community. And it's why we're hosting All Our Welcome Wednesdays, which Pastor Charlie just talked about, and encouraging everyone to participate because it's our desire to build this deeper community among our people and get it into our DNA as a family of God and as his church. And so this year is the first step of what we hope and what we want for, for you and us as a congregation. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the last few years with people, and I've just heard I'm lonely. I don't feel like I'm connected to anyone. I don't know anyone at Westview anymore. I need community. It's a, it's a lot of conversations. We need each other because that's how we were created to be. So let's talk about what that community can look like. Jesus' humble act of foot washing was symbolic of what was coming. He was going to allow himself to be the most vulnerable a person could be and submit to ultimately dying on the cross to cleanse those of us who would believe in him so that we could could have a restored relationship with God. And if you're familiar with the story of John 13, you know that there's a part that I skipped over earlier where Peter was uncomfortable with this act of foot washing because he didn't want the son of God to wash his feet and so in verse 8 he says you shall never wash my feet and Jesus response to him is unless I wash you you have no part with me and the word Jesus uses here for having a part with him refers to an inheritance now who gets an inheritance members of a family or a particular group and so you know, like, maybe, maybe you've seen this. I've seen this a couple times. People in their homes have, like, a plaque that says, like, in this family, we, and it, like, lists a bunch of things they want to be about as a family. I don't know if any of you have that or if you've seen that. Um, but Jesus is making it possible to be a part of God's family here. And he, um, he is making it possible for us to obtain that inheritance. And so if we follow Jesus, we're in the family and we're getting the inheritance. But he's also making it clear that through his actions, that this family, this community, is to be characterized by humility and vulnerability. Jesus is proclaiming, like he's put it on a plaque, in this family, we love and live with humility and vulnerability. That's the kind of community that he's establishing through the act of foot washing. Now, like I said before, the idea for many of us of washing someone's feet is, is probably revolting, and we also probably balk at the thought of someone washing our feet. Am I right? Anyone love that idea? Like, let's do it. Um, the first time it happened, uh, sorry, it's intimate and it's uncomfortable. And, and it's vulnerable, and so we don't, we don't like that idea. But let me just say, I have also had my feet washed during these summers that I, that I was running mission trips, and the first time it happened, it was, I was at my first ever training with this organization, so I had no idea it was coming. I was not prepared for this, mentally or otherwise. And so um, I was somewhere in Minneapolis in a church building and they introduced this concept and people came out with buckets and towels and I was like, bye. And so I did the mature thing and I left the room. And I wandered around the building. I went to the bathroom. I probably tried to call my mom. And I don't think she picked up. But um, I was like, if I had access to a vehicle, I would have like permanently pieced out. Like I was like, no way. And so I wasted as much time as I possibly could to avoid this intimate thing from happening. And finally, I was like, oh, they're they're probably done. And my goal was to get back into the room when they were, like, you know, closing up. And the people with the buckets were back in the back room or whatever. And uh, so I came back in the room when I thought enough time had passed. And the person who was was supposed to wash my feet was waiting for me (laughs) with a smile on her face. And I had just met her, like, the day before. So that was, it was crazy. But, um... She encouraged me to do it, and this was not something that was ever forced on anyone. We always said it was optional for everyone who was participating in this, and so I didn't need to do it, but I gathered up my courage, and I finally let them wash my feet, and it was so awkward and uncomfortable. I can't even explain it to you, but it was also powerful and life-changing. And I'm glad I let myself be vulnerable enough to do it. And of course, we're not only talking about foot washing here. So for those of you who are like, okay, I've got to take a a page out of Cheryl's book and get out of here before they bring out the buckets from the back room. We're not doing that today. We're not doing a foot washing service. We don't have any plan in the future that I'm aware of. So no one needs to panic. But this picture is a picture of the kind of community that we want to be about and that Jesus wants for his followers, for the group of people that D.A. Carson calls the fellowship of the cleansed. Because we've been washed by Jesus, we have benefited from his humility and his vulnerability, and we must allow that daunting love that we see in Jesus that's evidenced here at this foot-washing service but also on the cross to be the standard for us. Later on in the evening, Jesus says this to his disciples in verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, he calls it a new command, but it might sound familiar because earlier in, in the Gospels, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love your, your God, the Lord your God, and then the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So it, it sounds familiar, but what's new about this command is the standard of comparison. And Jesus is saying, we have to love as he has loved us. His self-emptying, self-sacrificing love is the standard of how we are to love each other. Reflecting the love that we see between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, reflecting that to each other, extending that love that we receive from them to each other. Jesus told us in, in, in this passage that he had set an example for us so that we could do what he did. And he's commanding us to act with humility, and vulnerability towards brothers and sisters. And so what does this look like for us? What does it look like to act towards each other in humility and in vulnerability? I'm not calling for everyone to share everything all the time about what's happened in their life with everyone they meet in church. Like, let's sit down and tell you my life story. That's not what I'm calling us to. What I'm calling us to is a commitment to this type of community. To rebel against the individualism of our time. And to rebel against the temptation to guard ourselves and to put up walls so that we never need anyone and we never are known by anyone. We need to be willing to be vulnerable about our struggles and our sins and our fears and our doubts and our shortcomings and to let people into those places. We've often made church a place where we feel pressure to pretend that things are better than they are where we have to put on a happy face and tell everyone that everything's great and we're not struggling with any sin or doubt um, because that would probably make Jesus look bad. We haven't handled people's confessions well at all. In fact, we've often reacted with pride and judgment and rejected the people because of their sin. Or we've used that as the standard of like, well, I'm better than she was. She is, so I'm doing okay. Um, but that is not what Jesus did here. Jesus washed Judas, the betrayer's feet, and then he went to the cross. If we're not humble enough to listen and to encourage and to extend grace and to avoid judging each other, then we're not the type of community that Jesus wants for us. Jesus modeled vulnerability with his disciples. Later that night when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to them, uh, he, "He says to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Like the son of God is confessing that he doesn't feel like he can handle what's, what's coming for him. And he's just letting his friends know that. He's being vulnerable with them. And no servant is greater than his master. If Jesus was that vulnerable with his community about how he was doing, then we need to do that as well. That Jesus needed other people and so do we. And so it starts with knowing each other more, with expanding our circles of who we talk to and finding people who are safe and who can support us in our lives, who can rejoice with us when we rejoice and mourn with us when we mourn. Before I started living in my first community in Vancouver, I was in a pretty dark place, emotionally and uh, spiritually, really every way. Um, my, my default in those times is to withdraw from people, um, and I was doing that a lot, There was no one that really knew what I was struggling with at that time. And then I moved in with these four other people that I had known through university, and my friend Simon was one of those people, and he immediately picked up on what was happening in my life. He's really good at discerning stuff like that, and it's really annoying, but it's also really wonderful. Um, He started to press me about the walls that I had up around my, my life and how I was protecting myself, and he started to coax me out And to encourage me to trust in what God was doing in my life. And to step outside of my comfort zone spiritually. He prayed with me. He told me what he was hearing from God for me. He pushed me to use use the gifts that God had given me. And he was instrumental in speaking a picture into my life of how I am gifted that made my whole life make sense. And affirmed how God has created me. He is the one I mentioned earlier that's still a close friend of mine. He and his wife, Megan, are two of my biggest cheerleaders and encouragers in my life. But friends, I might make it sound like, oh, it was all roses and rainbows and glorious. But there were times when Simon and I did not see eye to eye and when we disagreed with a lot of, about a lot of things. And when I moved out of that community, I think we went two years without talking. Because that's the messiness of doing relationship with people, doing community with other broken humans that, you know, and then Simon was just one person, so there's three other people who were in that mix, which just compounds things. Um, But sometimes I felt left out in that community, and sometimes I didn't feel like my voice was heard in that community. And and Simon uh, and I got through all of that at the end. We, like I said, are really good friends today. But taking, it took a while for us to get there and reconnecting took a lot of vulnerability and a lot of humility. But if I had not been willing to initially be vulnerable with Simon and and if he had not humbly accepted my vulnerability and walked with me in a Christ-like way, I'm not sure that I would, where I would be right now. Like, I'm I'm not even just saying that. Like, I know that's kind of cliche, but like, I literally don't know where I would have ended up. And so imagine the thing that you're struggling with right now. You're burdened by its weight. You're unsure of who to turn to. You've put up walls to protect you. And you want so badly for someone to, to know about it and to walk with you through it and to share about that, that burden with you, but you're afraid. And now imagine that you walk through these doors And you get to know the people in this room. And you find out that we are people who are humble. Not too important or too holy to hear about what you're struggling with right now. But willing to listen and be present to support you, to share that burden with you, to pray with you, to identify with you where we can, to speak the words of healing that you need to hear. And ultimately to point you to Jesus and the restoration that he offers I think some people experience that who are sitting in this room, but I think there are people who don't. David Brooks calls community love-soaked accountability. That this community, that is the community that Jesus calls us to. Maybe we need to be a community. Maybe we need to drill down on a community that pursues that together. Because Jesus said in John 13, 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so, friends, let's be a community that does them. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you were in relationship for eternity and that that is how you've created us to be. And we thank you that you have made a way for us to know you and be in community with you, and you have given us people in our lives to to follow you with, to be with as we follow you. Father, I pray that you would unite us together as a community, that we would go deeper, that we would be willing to be vulnerable as Jesus was vulnerable, to be humble as Jesus was humble. Father, that we would um, walk with each other through the things that we are struggling with and that we would be able to celebrate with each other through the things that we rejoice with. Lord, I pray that you would do that in us because we are powerless to do that in ourselves. So send your spirit to work that in our hearts to bear each other's burdens and ultimately to know you more and to glorify you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Wow, thanks, Cheryl. That was a good message. And you stayed according to our schedule too. How did,
0: oh, I wasn't sure I was how do did you do that? I'm pretty sure I preached for longer than I was supposed to, but well. maybe we were early. <laughs>
1: Okay, um, that was so good in so many ways. Again, we're taking questions re- rela- uh, related to our all our Welcome Wednesdays, but I just have to say some stuff. That, that message was so good, and it's so much connected with me in just the things that I've myself been learning about community and the power of it, uh... I'll be honest with you guys, just like, you know, Jesus was honest with his followers. I've been just dealing with some weird stresses in life lately, family stress, and to some degree, you know, ministry, work stuff. Not, nothing like particular, like one big thing, but just like lots of things added up. Our dog died a rather traumatic death. That was hard on our family and things related. And anyways, like, it's really common for, like, pastors, and lots of people, but it's really common for pastors to experience something called, like, burnout, where they just, like, uh, just too much, and then all of a sudden they just quit or, or blow up in a bad way. And, like, I've just been noticing in my life things have just, like, been adding up, adding up, adding up. And, like, what I've been doing, it's, like, I go to a staff meeting. I like I'll be laying in bed and I'll feel kind of like anxious, like I'm feeling it. It's burn, it's building up, and you know I've come to a place where I'm like, you know what's awesome though? I have a staff meeting tomorrow, because I just know that it's like I got this family and friends, and I'll just tell them what's going on, and it's like, and there's like just like this power, and the verse that you read about like, what you, the Peter verse? Like uh, just know that we're all experiencing around the world, you know, struggles of a similar kind. Like the other people in the room, they don't have the, the necessarily the exact thing going on, like their dog dying or kids dealing with this or that. But there's this shared experience of like, we're in this together. We all feel these stresses and pains and we're all like have our weaknesses and our weak faith that comes up sometimes. And there's just so much like power there. And... The, I can tell you how burnout would happen for me. Burnout would happen for me is if I had to show up to work and just pretend that everything was going great. That, that, that would lead to burnout. And I understand that a lot of you guys at your places of work, you don't have that community where you can just go and be open. That's why it's that much more important for us to have the community here and Wednesday nights. Our plan is Wednesday nights to be a time where we get beyond small talk. Where we can actually be real, share what's going on, and experience strength and power it's, it's it's something I'm really excited for, so all right, so what are your questions? Raise your hand if you're in the room and you got questions. Cheryl, you got something I just talked for too long yeah, uh.
0: it's uh I mean we. We spent a morning together as a staff. Usually our staff meeting is just like an hour, an hour and a half. We spent a whole morning together on Wednesday and literally listed out on a whiteboard all the things that were stressing us or the things that were keeping us really busy. And it was really good to just like take a breath collectively after that together and just be like, we're, we're in this together. Like we, we got each other and now we know how we can pray for each other. And now we know that like, I'm not the only one with car issues happening, or I'm not the only one who's struggling with this thing. And so um, it's it's so good to have people. Um, it's hard sometimes. We're not all, I mean, it's not all sunshine and rainbows with us either, but um, it's really good to have those people in our lives.
1: Okay. Uh, I am getting a number of questions uh, regarding the message, and maybe we'll get to that, but I do want to give priorities to questions about the Wednesdays that are, gonna, that are coming up. Uh, here's a small one. Uh, what time is it going to be on Wednesdays? 6.30
0: to
1: 8.30. Uh, yeah, 6.30, 8.30, and the reason we're starting at 6.30, which is earlier than a lot of things start, I've noticed around here, is because the plan is to eat together. Um, so you can get off work and you can just come here And a big reason why also we're doing it that early is because I know, because I have small kids in the home, and a lot of you guys do as well, you got to get home in time to get them to bed because they have to catch the bus in the morning. So our plan is to start early enough where we can get done early enough. Uh, But with that being said, after that uh, 6.30 to 8.30, there's also, I know there's going to be a, a young adult, what we call after party going on. Um, and also, I'm sure there's going to be just lots of people that hang out longer, just to hang out and talk. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, um, any questions in the room regarding Wednesdays?
0: Yes, we do have a mic roving around, or that can rove around, if you so need it. Um.
1: Right Here in the front, perfect. What time turns it? Um Wednesday, in the evening or in the morning? It's the evening. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, uh, you should
0: specify. Everyone show up at six thirty AM. Yay. Let's love each other now. <laughs> um
1: so there is a a question, who is shopping for food? Is there a budget? Like how is that gonna work with food?
0: Well, I can't tell you what the budget is. I'm pretty sure we have one, that would be a Pastor Jeff question, and he's not in this room that I can see. But, oh, here he is. He's like, yes, we have a budget. He's giving me a thumbs up. We're good, guys. We're good. He's caught us covered. Um, and who's shopping for food, that is going to be determined as we form the teams, and we're doing that um, this week.
1: So one of the reasons why I would love for you to sign up today is because this week we're going to start putting the teams together. There's lots of teams, teams for the different ministries, uh, the, the kitchen teams, those who would be cooking, those who would be serving, those who would be cleaning up, um, and I presume those who would be shopping for the food you know, during the week. All those things need to be figured out. So it would be great if you sign up today, and once more the hope is that everyone would serve once a month. And also, I just want to say this again, something that I've said before, like when families get together... That idea, like, everyone helps out, that's kind of just, like, a, a good thing, you know. So if you, if you consider this your family or you want this to be your family, because we want you to be part of the family also, a great way to get connected, to go from, like, an observer to, like, a family member is to step in and serve. Once more, I'm at, I'll be quick on this one, but I had another experience this this week So like I said, I've been just dealing with some just personal things, stresses adding up. Um, And like Wednesday night, uh, I came home and I was just feeling it. Wasn't feeling great. uh, Wasn't feeling restful. Felt like I needed to rest and stay home, but just was just feeling that again. And I saw on the young adult like message board that there's this Common Grounds, this big event that they have every once a month. They needed someone to chop vegetables I'm like, all right, well, I'm good at that. You know. I would actually rather stay home because I'm feeling kind of exhausted, but I'm actually pretty good at chopping vegetables and if they need someone to do that. And like I went and it was like, in an hour there's gonna be tons of people here and we have to have a bunch of food ready for like 60 people and I get there and there's a tons of vegetables that aren't chopped and uh, if I could be totally honest from a culinary, <laughs> I'm a chef. From a chef's point of view, it's like there wasn't much of a plan of what to do with these vegetables once, once they were cut. And let me just tell you, it was an opportunity for me to come in and use the gifts that I'm good at. And I was like, all right, we're going to chop it this way. We're going to do it this way. And in an hour, we had this awesome food. And there was something beautiful about serving and seeing it all come together. Like, when the, when, like to together experience this, it's like, hey, we did it. This food is good. We did it. All these people are coming. Like, there is, like, every Sunday I experience this because, like, well, me and Cheryl, like, we're up on stage. It's like, if things go wrong, I'm going to be really embarrassed. You know what I mean? So every Sunday we have this feeling of, like, God, we need you to do it. God, we need you to do it. Like, something about serving together is we get to experience that together. Like, okay, there's going to be. 15 preschoolers here in 10 minutes and we don't know what's going on. Let's pray. And then it's like an hour later, like, that was awesome. Like, God showed up. It's like when you're serving, you're putting yourself in that place where you need God. And I say it this way because the All Are Welcome Wednesdays plan is a plan that's not airtight. (laughs) Can I say that that
0: way? It's an experiment.
1: It's an experiment. That's all I mean. I mean, I feel like it's a good plan. But honestly, when you have that many people coming together uh, and, there's, and there's a lot of just weird things that could happen, things that go wrong, awkward things, you're really putting yourself in God's hands. And to me, that's like the most exciting thing about it. So all that to say is be part of the teams that are serving because when you're serving and using your gifts there is a joy of like, hey, God used me. That was really cool. And, um, and this just together dependence that we have on him, this together feeling of like, God, if you don't show up, um, this is going to be awkward, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, and, and the joy of God using us to make it happen. Uh, that's what I'm most excited about. We had a couple questions about what we can expect as the program for the evening. Are we just chilling the whole night?
1: Um, There'll be a lot of chilling, yeah. Um, we like chilling. So, uh, when you show up, probably kind of be like, uh, head down towards the gym, get yourself a plate of food. And so the first half hour, 40 minutes or so, maybe give or take a little more, is going to be just like sitting at tables, round tables and eating. And uh, um, that will be... Probably a lot of the times, you'll be together as a family. Maybe some of the times, you know, teenagers will be kind of hanging out with other teenagers. A lot of the times, you'll be in the room, sitting at round tables, chatting with each other, Um, and we might have, like, cards in the middle of the table that ask, like, questions to the group that kind of are trying to hit that blend between moving past small talk and also not necessarily bearing your soul to someone maybe you haven't quite gotten to know yet. <laughs> um, maybe sometimes there will be someone giving a little testimony during, during the meal, maybe other times not. But generally, the first 40 minutes will be having a meal with some light structure, if I could call it that. Uh, followed after that part, um, that's when like the different programming would start. Most of the time, adults would come into this room, and as a side thing... Uh, me and some of the staff have a hope to someday flatten this sanctuary so we could have just a bunch of round tables in here on Wednesday nights. But that's another conversation for another time. But anyway, so you would come in here, and even though we don't have round tables, the idea is you would sit in groups of, like, round tables. And it would be largely um, going a little deeper than some of the conversations that happen in dinner. A lot of times there might be questions posed that are connected with the sermon— So we got some really good questions actually in the text line. Like I said, we're prioritizing the all are welcome questions. But someone had a really good question about how do I know uh, if I'm talking to someone who is safe to really share my weaknesses. That's a great question and that's the sort of question that we could then talk about um, together. So it wouldn't primarily be like what you're seeing now, everyone looking at me or Cheryl or whoever's up here and us doing most of the talking it will be mostly, um, you know, there'll be some up here, but mostly giving it back to you and to the roundtables to have those discussions. Um, And so that's really, like, in here, the adults would go, like, deeper. And then as the adults are doing that, the teens, uh, the the youth, the children, there's also nursery going on. All that is happening at the same time with different programs also. Um,
0: and we also have a homework room for those people who are like, I would come, but I have homework, um, that will be back here that you can just hang out and do homework together as well.
1: Yeah, isn't that great? So come, eat some food, and then just go, if you have some work, or if it's, I mean, you could say homework, you can be think of, like, as teenagers, but sometimes adults have, like, work to do. I've Yeah, maybe I'll join online.
0: sometimes, depending on my workload for that week.
1: Yeah, but just come, and then you can at least have a meal and, you know, be here. Um, so, yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's largely discussion-based and it is designed, hopefully, for us to know each other more so that we can be more vulnerable and enter into humble community with each other.
1: Um, Someone said, do we bring our own food? Um, Let's make this the last
0: question just for the band to be aware.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, Well, hold on. There might be another really easy one. (laughs) There's a bunch of them that came in. Uh, uh, No, you don't bring your own food unless we tell you in advance that we're doing some sort of potluck. Um, And I guess, you know what?
0: There's also one about do we need to sign up to eat? No, you don't. We're going to plan for like 150 people, and we'll order pizza if we need to, um, just to supplement what we have. Um, But you don't need to to sign up. Um, We're going to just... Trust God that He's going to guide us with the right amounts of everything.
1: I can't find it now. There was a question about like I someone did sign up, um, uh, and maybe didn't uh, hear back yet. We are um, again. We're taking that, and this week our plan is to really start forming those teams. So if we will accept signups later, we definitely will. But it would be great if you could sign up like today. So. Absolutely. Okay. Oh,
0: Roger's got a question. Last question from Roger.
1: Uh, what time the volunteers will have
0: to show up? We'll be communicating that out this week once we've formed the teams. Um, I'd anticipate the people who are ki- in the kitchen cooking would need to be here like at five, um, but we'll talk that through in more detail once we know the teams and, and uh, have that plan in place.
1: Yeah, they'll probably... be some volunteer roles that can come later and some that can be earlier yeah
0: all right okay you want to pray us out
1: yeah father god i thank you so much that you always give us what we ask in your name that's a promise you've said lots of times and lots of ways and that you know i repeat you give us what we ask in your name meaning you give us what we ask according to your heart and your plan and It is so clear that your heart and your plan is for your family to live in community, to experience the Holy Spirit together, to glorify you in this way. We know that's your heart. You've told us in so many ways. So I'm so thankful that we can ask with confidence, Lord, um, that you will do it. So I'm asking that this year of community is real community and that the words that Cheryl spoke would resonate in our hearts and we'd have the courage to be vulnerable with one another so that we, our, our, our experience of community can be real and not superficial, Lord. Um, as a church, Lord, let us move beyond small talk and actually experience community, Lord. That's the desire, especially for Wednesday nights. And I'm so thankful that you give us what we ask in your name. So you're going to do it, Lord. We believe. Thank you, Lord. Uh, we praise you in your name. Amen.